You're listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Our last update on the state of negotiations for the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, was back at the uh, beginning of September with Sharon Treat. I'm joined by Karen Hansen-Kuhn, IATP's Director of Trade and Global Governance, who's based in Washington, D.C. Um, Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, so back in January of 2017, um, when the talks of renegotiating NAFTA came up, IATP and several other organizations put out a statement um, outlining what we thought should be in a North American free trade agreement. Um, can you just run us through that, um, what those principles are and why we think um, NAFTA needs to be redone? Sure. I mean, I guess I should start by saying there are a couple of things I think virtually all civil society groups are united on that, that we repeated in those statements as well. And the first is to start with a more transparent process than we've had in the past. Uh, and second, to eliminate uh, investor state dispute settlement, which are the corporate courts that allow corporations to sue governments over public interest laws. Uh, there have been a number of really harmful cases coming out under that mechanism over the years. Now, as family farm groups, uh, we also focus on some specific issues. And I think the overall message is that we shouldn't be focusing only on expanding exports. We should be looking at what kind of food system, what kind of economy we want, and what are the trade rules that get us there. So a lot of what we would focus on are things like keeping in or adding rules that would allow for local and national sovereignty over food policy, allowing for mechanisms to control food price volatility. Specifically, uh, we have pushed to get back country of origin labeling for meat, um, which is something that Canada and Mexico challenged successfully at the WTO, but could be resolved within NAFTA. Um, we reject attacks on Canada's dairy supply management program and joining with others as well, we call for stronger labor and environmental standards throughout North America. Um, now, there's NAFTA negotiations that just recently completed in Montreal, um, which Sharon Treat from our staff was at. But um, can you talk first about the transparency issue? Um, have we seen any movement there to make NAFTA renegotiation more transparent? No, I mean, it's, it's certainly worse than it was under previous trade negotiations. Uh, at least in the past, you know, we would have meetings or feedback from, uh, from trade officials, from the U.S. trade representatives. There would be opportunities to testify. There's been very little of that under NAFTA. So we are forced into the position of being kind of detectives, gleaning what bits and pieces of information we can from different sources. Um, but certainly, no, transparency is worse than in the past. You know, now that they've had all these rounds, there was a lot of talk that the Montreal round could be the round at which uh, the United States pulled out of the agreement altogether. It sounds like that hasn't happened and that the countries are, you know, the negotiators are at least committed to moving forward. Can you talk a bit about how IATP's priorities have fared uh, in the negotiations so far? Well... I mean, I would say there, there has been some perhaps movement, at least in the U.S. position, on this 
investor state dispute settlement. There is a U.S. proposal to allow countries to opt in or opt out of that mechanism, which would weaken it quite a bit. Um, but there is also massive opposition from corporate sector to that idea, and so far opposition from Canada and Mexico. Um, our other proposals, uh, COOL seems to have dropped off the talks altogether, although it seemed like initially it was being discussed. And dairy supply management, I would say, is in an interesting new position. The U.S. has been pushing to get rid of dairy supply management in Canada altogether. Even though it's a successful program in Canada, it keeps farmers on the land, it keeps prices at reasonable levels, and family farm groups here recognize that no matter what problems we're having in the dairy sector, dismantling Canada's system won't solve it. Um, so on that front, Canada seems to be holding firm, uh, but we are concerned about what might happen now that Canada has signed on to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So that is an issue for discussion that, that's up for debate. Um, I would say generally our other proposals don't seem to be gathering much traction. And some of what we've been shifting to as well is looking at the efforts to sneak in some of the proposals from the Trans-Pacific Partnership into NAFTA. So, you know, we're concerned that beyond even trying to improve NAFTA, it will actually be worse. So IATP spent a lot of time, you've, you talked about Canada joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP. IATP spent a lot of time with thousands of other organizations working to defeat TPP. And insofar as the U.S. withdrew from the agreement, we did. Um, what is this TPP-11 that Canada has signed on to, and um, what are the consequences going to be of this agreement going through? Um, well, the TPP-11 is the other countries besides the United States have agreed, they have continued some discussions over the last year, and on the anniversary of Trump withdrawing from TPP, Canada announced they had completed it, everybody was in agreement, and that they would actually sign it next week. So I think there's two impacts of this. One was clearly, politically, the idea was to, uh, to stick it in Trump's eye, to say, we're going to go ahead with this no matter what you do. So it was a political signal to the U.S. Uh, substantively, I think, you know, we're concerned that a lot of the issues that are in the TPP model which include very weak labor standards, um, strong standards that would tend to allow for more uh, agricultural biotechnology exports, greater restrictions on farmers saving seeds, other issues like that uh, would continue to spread and still become the default position. Um, Are the other 11 countries now going to feel the same effects of TPP that we were warning about for the last five years? It's a good question. I mean, I think some things like expanding investor state dispute settlement to countries that didn't already have it would certainly have impacts. Um, in other cases, um, you're right, a lot of the, the opening, say, on dairy markets had to do with U.S. positions. Uh, it's hard to know substantively. I would also point out that we don't actually know 
the final text of the TPP as it stands. Um, so we don't actually know if it's changed since it was announced a year and a half ago. There, we think there have been some minor adjustments, and so that's something we're all waiting to find out. Um, I would say, honestly, at this point, as I said, it's a political signal more than a substantive trade policy. It is the idea that this is still out there, these countries are still united, and in Davos. You know, we had Trump seeming to step back from his opposition from TPP, saying that there were some good ideas there. You know, maybe they would join in without being specific about why he thought it was bad in the first place. So mm -hmm. I think it's more consolidating this specific set of rules and saying this should still be the default. Um, and with, I guess, I suppose the expectation that the U.S. might join in. Mm -hmm. And so with the exception of Japan in the agreement, um, we're not really talking about the world's major economies. So the, the scale of TPP uh, decreased pretty dramatically when the U.S. withdrew. And so it seems to me that um, the renegotiation of NAFTA uh, is more important, I guess, in the sense that it will s serve more as a blueprint for how very large economies are trading with smaller economies, um, or maybe just trade rules around the world in general. Um, does that seem like an accurate assessment? I think that's true, but I think there's also a lot of overlap between them. I mean, certainly, yes, NAFTA economically is more important with the U.S. not involved in TPP right now. And um, the, I, the whole idea is to see if, if it were to be renegotiated along different lines, would that indicate the U.S. negotiating positions moving forward? On the other hand, we know that they are bringing in ideas from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, from the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, and in some cases going beyond what they could get agreed to in those agreements on things And we're like, talking about basically deregulation uh, for corporations, essentially. Essentially, or, yeah. Some mechanisms that were new mechanisms that were explored in those agreements um, that are now probably slipping into the NAFTA talks. Now, as I said, we don't quite know, but we can judge by reports we're getting from what industry is demanding, you know, bits and pieces of information that's leaking out. So, in the next, well, okay, so I, let's say first, so Mexico has come out and saying, now we're willing to extend uh, NAFTA negotiations beyond our election in July. Um, we don't have a drop dead deadline. I mean, originally they had this completely reckless timetable of put, having a session in place every three weeks. Um, they, it seems like they backed off of that. Um, they're taking their time. So what is it that we might expect and that people should be paying attention to in the next few months? Well, I guess it would, I, there will be negotiations in Mexico at the end of February, in March, in Washington, D.C. That's what we know so far. I would say, you know, as we get closer to the Mexican elections, um, certainly the negotiations can continue, um, but the tone of the elections will affect what's negotiated. And one, one thing I learned recently, which I thought was interesting, is that even uh, after the elections, which happen on July 1st, 
the current president's administration in Mexico can continue to negotiate until he leaves office on December 1st. So we have a very long lame duck session in Mexico where whoever wins the previous administration could control that trade agenda. So I think that will be something important to keep an eye on. And in fact, they could introduce it for ratification in the Mexican Senate in September. So before the new administration, new senators come into office. So that's risky. On the other hand, I think as we get closer to the election cycle here, it seems very likely that trade will become an issue again. And that that will be also a time when we'll need to clarify um, what exactly Trump has meant by free trade. You know, he said, or, and fair trade. He says he wants a different approach. It's not so clear that it is very different. Um, but I think some of the issues we'll be paying a lot of attention to, you know, are these issues around this investor state dispute settlement, these corporate courts, any kind of progress on enforceable labor standards, which seems unlikely, frankly, um, but is something that is being discussed. And then from our side, you know, what's happening with new proposals on ag biotech, um, on, you know, trying to continue this model of assuming that increasing exports from the United States will solve the problems of rural communities. So as I said, we're piecing together information. We kind of have to be detectives. Um, but I think we could see, certainly the process will continue over the next few months. Well, Karen, thanks a lot for joining me today. All right. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Uprooted. I'm Josh Wise. For more information on what you heard today, including to read our NAFTA portal, which is a compilation of 25 years worth of IATP's material on the North American Free Trade Agreement, including what we're currently writing, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. Thanks for listening.